again, everyone, and it's uh, really a great uh, honor and privilege to be able to share something with you from God's Word. So please take uh, a Bible. I hope you have a copy of the Bible with you. Uh, if you don't, you're going to feel especially guilty after this message this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading from uh, the, New the New Testament and uh, the book of Second Timothy. And it's, uh, if you're using uh, one of the church Bibles, it is uh, page uh, 1196. 1196. Second Timothy, chapter 3, and uh, just four verses, verses um, 14 through to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Well, please pray with me for a moment. Our Heavenly Father, um, our prayer now would, would echo the song that we have just sung. Speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, to us through your word. Uh, renew our minds. Uh, warm our hearts. Conform us to the likeness of Christ. Change us, we pray, by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I wonder how many people here made New Year's resolutions. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you made a New Year resolution. Okay. Now, I wonder how many people have already broken their New Year resolution. Keep up your hand if you've already broken it. Oh, I don't, don't see any hands. That's, that's good news. Well, it's early days. It's interesting to hear what kind of resolutions people make at New Year. According to one newspaper I came across, the top 10 resolutions for 2016, so resolutions that people made for the past year, were as follows. Here's the top 10 in reverse order. Number 10, spend less time on social media. If you're live tweeting this sermon, you might want to include that one. Number 9, cook from scratch more often. Number 8, Spend more time with family. Number seven, put time aside for a personal hobby or project. Number six, give up smoking. Number five, drink less alcohol. Number four, read more books. Or for some people, read a book. Number three, travel and see more of the world. Number two, go on a holiday or mini breaks. And the number one New Year's resolution, yes, 
you guessed it, go on a diet, lose weight. Well, I want to suggest something else. I want to suggest a different New Year's resolution. I want to suggest that you resolve this year to gain weight. In fact, I want to suggest that in 2017, you gorge yourself, but not on food, at least not on physical food. I want to suggest that in 2017, you gorge yourself on spiritual food, specifically the Word of God, the Bible. Now, gorging probably isn't the best word to use. I mean, gorging isn't a very biblical word. It sort of makes you think of the sin of gluttony. A more biblical word would be feasting. God is very much in favor of feasting. In fact, sometimes God commands His people to feast. And so I want to challenge you this morning to make 2017 a year of feasting. A year of feasting on the Word of God, the Word of life. A year of consuming and digesting and being nourished by the Bible so that you will be blessed and so that you will also be a blessing to others. And I want to give you three reasons to do that. Three reasons drawn from these verses in 2 Timothy before making some very practical suggestions about how you might do that. So, three reasons for feasting on the Bible. Here's the first reason. You should feast on the Bible because you want to be saved. You should feast on the Bible because you want to be saved. You do want to be saved, don't you? Look again at verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says to Timothy that the scriptures are able to make him wise and wise for a very specific end, wise for salvation. This isn't a general wisdom, the kind of general purpose wisdom that enables you to make prudent decisions in life. No, this is the wisdom that leads to eternal life, everlasting joy in the presence of God. And this salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the perfect Redeemer who saves us through His sacrificial death and His glorious resurrection. Now, what's really striking about Paul's statement here is that when he speaks about these holy Scriptures, he's referring primarily to the Scriptures of the Old Testament. Paul is saying that the Old Testament is sufficient to make Timothy wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for those of us who find the Old Testament rather difficult and obscure to read, and who much prefer reading the New Testament, that's a challenging idea. Perhaps then, if we are going to resolve to feast 
on God's word in this new year, we should resolve in particular to feast on the whole of God's word, from Genesis through to Malachi, as well as Matthew through to Revelation. So let me ask you, when was the last time you read through the Old Testament? In particular, when was the last time that you read through the Old Testament with a view to seeing Jesus portrayed in it as the promised Messiah, the Prince of Peace, the coming King of Kings, the seed of Abraham through whom all nations of the world would be blessed? Jesus himself said that all of the Scriptures speak of him. And if the Old Testament is sufficient to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, how much more will the New Testament do so? With the Old and the New Testaments together, we have the fullness of God's revelation to us. We have everything that we need to know about Jesus Christ in order to be wise for salvation. What a tragedy it would be for God's people to neglect the spiritual treasures contained in these Holy Scriptures. You see, the Holy Scriptures, when applied by the Holy Spirit, have the power to transform us into holy people. They have the power to bring our salvation, which has already begun in us, to bring it to completion. They have the power to make us more like our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. They have the power to prepare us for our eternal home with our Heavenly Father. So the first reason that you should feast on the Bible is because you want to be saved. Here's the second reason. You should feast on the Bible because you love the God who saves you. You should feast on the Bible because you love the God who saves you. You do love God, don't you? So how does feasting on the Bible show your love for God? Look at the first words of verse 16. All Scripture is god breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. What Paul means is that the Bible comes first and foremost from God. It is God speaking to us. It is literally a verbal communication from God. And the Bible is absolutely unique in that respect. Yes, it was written by human authors, and it bears their distinctive styles. But as the Apostle Peter explained in one of his letters in the New Testament, those human writers spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so behind the many human authors, there is one divine author. Now here's the point. If you love someone you will pay attention to what they say. If you love someone, you will pay attention to what they say. When they speak, 
you'll listen. Well, how much more does that principle apply to our relationship with God? If you love God, you will pay attention to what God says. In fact, you'll be passionate about it. You won't be able to get enough of it. My wife Katrina and I recently celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. We got married in uh, October 1996, but in the summer of that year, Katrina had to spend eight weeks in Indonesia to fulfill part of her medical training requirements. So we were separated for two months by some 7,000 miles of distance. Katrina didn't have access to email, uh, so we kept in touch by fax and airmail. That's how we did it in those days. I would fax my letters to her, and she would airmail her letters back to me. And so every few days over the course of that year, the summer of 1996, I would receive a letter from the woman that I was due to marry. Now, what do you think I did with that letter? Did I just toss it on a pile of previously unopened letters thinking, well, you know, when I get a spare moment, I'll maybe have a look at it? No, of course not. I tore it open immediately, and I devoured its contents. I couldn't wait to get the next letter and read what she had to say because I loved her so much. The Bible is a letter from God. If I can say it reverently, it is a love letter. A letter in which God expresses His love for us and all that He has done to demonstrate that love by sending His own Son into our world to save us at the cost of His own life. If we love God, surely we will want to devour the contents of that letter. So the second reason that you should feast on the Bible is because you love God, because you love the God who saves you. Here's the third reason. You should feast on the Bible because you want others to be saved. You should feast on the Bible because you want others to be saved. You do want others to be saved, don't you? Look at verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, Paul is writing here to Timothy, a young pastor, a church planter, in fact. And so his words here have particular application to pastors and those in what we call full-time Christian ministry. His point is that because the Bible is God's Word, it is sufficient for Christian ministry so that God's servants will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But if that is true for pastors in particular, it must be true for Christians in general. 
If the Bible is sufficient to equip pastors for every good work, then it can equip every believer for every good work. Now, there are many good works that we might be called to do for the sake of God's kingdom, but there is one in particular that applies to the church as a whole. It is the good work that Jesus assigned to his disciples following his resurrection before he returned to his Father in heaven. It's the good work that we call the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Matthew 28. Those who have received salvation, Jesus commissions to go into the world and to share the message of salvation with others. Some may be called to go across the sea. Others may be called simply to go across the street. Either way, that command to go and share the good news of salvation applies to each and every one of us at some level. But here's the thing. How will we convey the good news faithfully if we don't know our Bibles? How will we teach people to obey everything that Jesus commanded if we don't know our Bible? Evangelism and missions aren't a stroll in the park. They're spiritual warfare. The mission field is a battlefield. And the moment that you step out of the doors of this church, you are entering the mission field. You are stepping onto the battlefield. The question is, are you entering that battlefield well-armed or poorly armed or practically unarmed? It's increasingly clear that non-Christians in the West are very ignorant about Christianity and the Bible. According to a 2014 report by the Bible Society, one in three Britons did not know that the nativity story was found in the Bible. Nearly two-thirds of Britons weren't aware that the stories of David and Goliath and Jonah and the great fish came from the Bible. Meanwhile, nearly one half of those polled identified a plot line from the Harry Potter books as coming from the Bible. Now we can chuckle or roll our eyes at that level of ignorance, but there's a sense in which people can't be blamed for not knowing what they've never been taught. But what about those who really should know better? How many Christians find themselves in a conversation with an unbeliever saying things like, well, Jesus once said something like, uh, you have to be perfect to enter heaven. It's in one of the Gospels somewhere. Hold on a minute while I search for it on my phone. 
The fact is that we will never be confident witnesses to Christ if we have not soaked ourselves in the scriptures that testify to him. Well, I've given you three reasons, three good reasons, I think, why you should make 2017 a year of feasting on the Bible. Because you want to be saved, because you love the God who saves you, and because you want others to be saved. Well, now I want to give you six practical suggestions for how you might do that. And you might want to grab a pen or get the recording because we're going to be going through these very quickly. Suggestion number one, read through the entire Bible in a year. Read through the entire Bible in a year. Yes, it's possible. There are tons of good Bible reading plans out there to give you a daily schedule. All it requires is 10 to 15 minutes each day. That's really not too much to sacrifice, is it? Suggestion number two, read a devotional commentary on one book of the Bible. Read through a devotional commentary on one book of the Bible. Resolve to dig deep into one book of the Bible, just one, to really understand it and to apply it to your life. Again, we are spoiled for resources. And I'm very sure that the pastors here at Charlotte Chapel will be delighted to point you to some good devotional commentaries that will feed both your mind and your heart. Suggestion number three, listen to the entire Bible on audio. Listen to the entire Bible on audio. Some people absorb things better by hearing than by reading. And that's okay. There's no shame in that. The fact is that most of the Christians in the early church received the Bible by hearing someone else reading it to them. And again, there are tons of options here, and they won't cost you a penny. Just go onto the internet, search for, listen to the Bible in a year. All it requires, again, 10 to 15 minutes per day. How long do you spend in the bathroom in the morning? How long is your commute in the morning? More than 10 to 15 minutes? Suggestion number four, join a Bible study group. Join a Bible study group. Do you attend regularly one of the Bible study groups here at Charlotte Chapel? If not, why not? Suggestion number five, memorize parts of the Bible. Memorize parts of the Bible. Reading the Bible is one thing, of course, but memorizing it is really the only way to drive it deep into your soul. Why not then resolve to memorize not only some verses of the Bible, but some whole chapters of the Bible? Start with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, you already know the first verse. You're up and running. Suggestion number six. Pray the Bible. Pray the Bible. Pray the Bible? Yes, pray the Bible. Jesus did. 
his disciples did. And if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you. If you want to learn more about what it means to pray the Bible, then just pick up a copy of Don Whitney's excellent little book, Praying the Bible. You'll thank me for it. So there you have six, I think, very practical suggestions for ways that you can feast on the Bible in 2017. Well, just some words in conclusion. 2017, you may be aware, is the 500th anniversary of the year when Martin Luther famously nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, unaware that he was igniting the tinder of the Reformation. It is a sad fact that most people in Scotland today are blissfully ignorant of the Reformation, even though it's one of the historical events that has shaped modern Scotland more than anything else. A more saddening fact is that many evangelical Christians don't understand and appreciate the significance of the Reformation, what it was really about, and why it really mattered, and still matters. Put simply, if the Reformation hadn't happened, you and I would not be here today. If the Reformation hadn't happened, Charlotte Chapel would not exist today. What's more, if the Reformation hadn't happened, you and I would not be able to feast on the Bible. Because one of the greatest contributions of the Reformation was to put the Bible back into the hands of ordinary Christians so that we could read that letter from our Creator in our common language, so that we could hear the voice of God in our own native tongue. Now, today, we have dozens of English translations of the Bible available to us instantly over the internet, and we have tens of thousands of resources available to help us understand it and apply it, so that through the, through the same Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible, we can be transformed into the holy, Christ-like people that God wants us to be. Friends, we are utterly spoiled compared to Christians in other parts of the world. May God forgive us for neglecting the tremendous riches that He has blessed us with. It's as though God has laid out a great feasting table before us, and all we can do is nibble at the bread rolls. So if you make just one New Year's resolution for 2017, consider making it this, to spend the year feasting on the Bible. Let's pray.